all this stuff and uh i just get to sit in the background so i don't really oh, know there it goes. goes on now me. streaming live now we're streaming live there we go there we go all right i think we're good there this stuff and uh i just there we go i knew that was coming man i want to be i'm gonna be Pablo's gonna be so impressed <laughs> all right here we go everybody ready yep. all right here we go right all right everybody hello and welcome to the thursday edition of the not your average investor show I'm Greg Cohen, and I am here with an incredible guest who I will introduce in just a second. Um, the person who is not here, unfortunately, is Pablo, our good friend and my co-host. Um, so we wish him, he is doing some really big things for his business at the moment. We wish him well. And you guys know what that means. Every once in a while, I get to host the show by myself. And you know what? Sometimes it's like the blind leading the blind. Sometimes I need a lot of help from all of you today. So as we start out the show today, guess what? I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to do the best I can. And the best way for you to help this whole show be super valuable is, uh, is to take part in it and to be a part of the chat and to be a part of asking incredible questions. So thank you all in advance for being here. Um, I do want to say a special welcome to Madison the Magnificent, our MTM community leader over there. Say hi, Madison. Hi, everybody. And without further ado, I want to say a quick hello to our guest. Uh, Thomas Vickers joins us. Thomas is, uh, when you get to hear Thomas's story, you're going to be blown away. Um, Thomas has been a client of ours for many years. He is a traveling physical therapist. Uh, he invests in real estate. He's been, his family has been investing in real estate for quite a number of years and just some incredible insights to share with us all today. So Thomas, welcome to the show. Hey, man, I am so excited to be here. Uh, I've been kind of uh, uh, stalking JWB since about 2014, uh, but I didn't officially become a client until uh, 2021, 2022. I can never keep track. It feels like it's been a while now because you guys are so awesome. Um, but yeah, we're super excited to be here. Well, Thomas and I just had a chance to chat for you know the 20, 30 minutes before the show. I don't think there was a dull moment. I think I was on the edge of my seat hearing his story personally. And so I'm excited to share with you. No joke, when he was telling me a part of his story, the uh, you know, the hairs on my arm were starting to stand up. And I get to do this show every Tuesday and Thursday, and that doesn't always happen. So you guys are in for a real treat. Um, I do want to make mention for those of us who are joining us on the podcast and the future in podcast land, guess what? We love that you are joining and listening to the podcast. It's incredible to be able to listen on the go. But guess what? There's a better place to come and watch the show, and it's here in our Zoom meetings, uh, and that's where you get to actually be a part of uh, the chat. You get to be a part of the story, and uh, you get to do that. It's for free. You can do that by going to nyais.com, nyais.com. Go there. We'll send you a free registration link. You can join the party, um, and you can join the show live, which happens every Tuesday and Thursday at 1230 Eastern. And when you get to do that, you get to be a part of something. Thomas, do you have any idea what you get to be a part of? Ah, uh, no, sir. What do we get to be a part of? The roll call, baby. Are you ready? Woo, roll call. <laughs> Shout out those special fans, man. The, re the repeat guests. That's the only way the show keeps going is by you know, having an engaged audience that keeps showing up. You know, and so Thomas, you've, you've watched the show a few times, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's yes. It, it tends to get a little boring if it's just the two 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 old guys there just chit chatting. So you got to have I'm some uh, some engagement. <laughs> I, they're certainly not coming to the show for me. I can tell you that maybe for Pablo. No, no, sir. But they're certainly coming for me. You know, the uh, the show is all about the community. And so we have some incredible folks in our community who are here. I'll tell you guys, our our audience has grown. You know, I ran the numbers not too long ago. It's grown over 40 percent just in the last few months. And so uh, super big thank you for, for you all continuing to be here and for giving us such a great job that we get to do every single Tuesday and Thursday for being a part of the show. Um, so we're going to recognize some of those folks. And if you're one of those people who I would call lurkers, who you're one of those call it 150 folks who show up live here, but you, you maybe haven't actually said something in the chat, let me uh, encourage you to do that so that we can recognize you. And you know what? Maybe you, you'll even get a nickname. You never know. So first off, we've got our leadoff hitter, John Heading, saying hello. We've got the MVP of the Not Your Average Investor community, Mr. Lee Bishop, in the house. We have the maven of real estate from Denver, Colorado, Miss Leslie Wilson. We have Leo Faraganan, dun, dun, na, 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 
Uh, we've got my buddy Dehab. Dehab is a friend of mine for 20 plus years and a client of ours as well. As well. Dehab, I didn't know you were going to be here, bud. Good to see you. Good to see you, my friend. Uh, we've got the Shah man, Nadim Shah, saying his trademark, trademark, good morning, good afternoon, JWB family. Hope everything is well. We've got Lita Song. She says, hello, beautiful investor from Minnesota. We've got the first family of the Not Your Average Investor Show, Ken and Carolyn Maline. We salute you. Thank you all for being here. We've got the mama bear, Cody Adams, saying hello. It's good to see you, Cody. Let's see who we've got here. Got Man, we've got Pamela Myers saying hello. She's from the Seattle area. We've got, uh, let's see here. Man, what a great roll call. We've got the early bird, Dean Curry saying hello. Good to see you, Dean. And uh, let's see, if, have we encouraged any of those lurkers to say hello? Maybe some new folks come, coming up here. Oh, we've got Aaron O'Neill into the light, past star of the show. Aaron O'Neill, you did incredible last Thursday, Aaron. Thank you for being here. And uh, wow, what an incredible roll call that we have here. So thank you all for being. We got Hervé Francois from Jersey saying hello to the JWB fam. And uh, man, what an incredible roll call today. You guys are in for a treat. Thomas, when we were talking before the show, you gave, I, I always try to take some notes right before the show. And here's my notes, man. It is like full of notes right here. There's, it's on both sides here. Um, I was just trying to write down all of the, the really cool things that I think our show will get a lot of value out of. But why don't we just kind of set the scene? Thomas, you're a traveling physical therapist. You're a medical professional. And uh, you made the decision to invest in real estate over a number of other options. Um, and you lead your life in an incredible way. We can certainly talk about the background in your video right now. I want you to share your story about that background and, and logistically yeah. how you live. Um, but I want to get into a lot more as far as your mindset as well. So why don't you just kind of set the stage a little bit, tell everybody a little bit about yourself um, and maybe what got you down this path of investing in real estate um, here in Jacksonville with JWB. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you for uh, for letting me be a part of the show in this community, because um, that's really the main point. Uh, I was born in Jacksonville, grew up in Jacksonville, went to UNF for undergrad, went to UNF for grad school. So I'm a Jacksonville local through and through. Um, so I love any small business that is um, engaged in the community. And again, my first exposure to JWB was 2014. And now you guys have in evolved from this little small business operation to this powerhouse force that's driving the direction of, you know, of the future of our city. Um, and so I, I don't know, big fan, big fan of the local stuff. Thank you so um, much, bud. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so, so like Greg said, I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I went to undergrad at UNF, got my degree in athletic training. I was working out of high school with, you know, the football team, soccer team, stuff like that. Uh, and then I went back to school 2018 to get my doctorate in physical therapy. And then in 2021, I graduated during COVID and that was terrible. Uh, and I was working at the hospital, spent a long time in the hospital on the COVID ICU, on the, uh, the respiratory unit. And, um, it, it was not super fun. Um, our, our, our first daughter was born in October of 2021, and we're still working at the hospital. And she got COVID at 11 weeks old. And so our, uh, our newborn had like 105 fever. We were in the emergency room running all sorts of tests. I mean, it was, it was super scary. Um, and, and because I was a new grad and had just started, I didn't have any time off. So I was still having to work while our daughter was in the hospital. And it was like, it was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so me and my wife, we decided, you know, COVID's crazy right now. We don't know there. I mean, at that point there was no end in sight. Nobody knew how long the mass, the quarantine was going to go on. Uh, so we made a huge life pivot. Uh, we moved into a camper and went on the road full-time RV life. Uh, so I got a, got a big diesel truck and we had a 38 foot fifth wheel and, uh, we did travel healthcare contracts on uh, more rural settings because we wanted to, you know, try to maybe limit our exposure a little bit, uh, mm -hmm. if possible. Uh, so we ended up in, uh, Lake city, Florida, which is terrible. <laughs> then we went to, we, we, we moved up a rung to Paducah, Kentucky. I don't know if anybody <laughs> here's, uh, from the, the four rivers region there in Paducah. Uh, we were out there and then we went over to Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, while, while we were in Columbia, South Carolina, we found out we're having baby girl number two. And uh, we said, holy smokes, we're having two two kids, two and under in a camper. 
no way. My wife said, we're moving out or you're going to keep traveling on your own. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, so we uh, pulled the eject handle and uh, we're now in Tampa, Florida. Um, uh, we're, we're, you know, there's water everywhere in Tampa. So I'm just out here at a random park out here in Tampa. Uh, and I'm, I'm now a home health therapist. Uh, so I go to people's houses, do therapy, uh, my flexible hours, the pay is good, works for the family. So that's kind of where it's kind of where I'm at now, uh, in the, in the, in the professional sense. That is incredible. First of all, thank you so much for your service when, uh, our country and our world needed you, especially helping with COVID, uh, COVID and, um, Amazing to hear that your your daughters, both of your daughters are doing well. Um, so that is awesome. I got to ask, though, this whole idea of living in a camper with two with, you know, your beautiful <laughs> wife and two kids under the age of two. Like, what was that like? I know that's not what this this show oh. is. about, But what was that like? <laughs> Uh, we spent a lot of time outside. <laughs> um, and, and, and I, I will, I got the better end of the deal. Cause I got to leave and go to work. Uh, my, my, my wife did not, uh, get so lucky. How long uh, did she, that last? Uh, so we made it 15 months. We made it 15 months yeah. full time in the camper. Um, my wife was a kindergarten teacher for seven, eight years. Uh, and so she loves kids. We both love kids. And, um, so, so, so she was okay with it. It was so special. Um, yeah. you know, be, being, being young professionals, we were looking at, we we're going to have to be a two income house anyways. And so we didn't love, you know, sending our daughter to daycare. So, so kind of the COVID factors, the financial incentives, being able to, you know, take care of our daughter, you know, kind of, kind of motivated our, to go on the road. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that is an incredible story. And I, I bet something that, you know, you just look at it and we talk more about your story. There's so many things that people probably said, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I know you've broken through a number of those barriers and that's, that's an incredible one right there. Um, let's talk about yeah, your real yes, estate sir. journey. Tell me, tell everybody a little bit about uh, maybe your family's background. I know they started to invest, I think back in 2006, or at least started to buy real estate in 2006 and take people through that journey, maybe uh, about um, how your family made investment decisions or how they made those decisions, um, you know, back in the day till now, now you let everybody know how many properties you own um, and, and your mindset about that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So, so we're all here for real estate. So I'll get to cut to the chase. <laughs> uh, so, so, so I'm the oldest of six kids um, and we're 20 years apart. Um, so, so I'm 30, my youngest sibling is only 11. So we have a pretty, pretty widespread of um, kids there. Mm-hmm. And so my, my family, uh, housing, <laughs> housing and finances have always been a little bit of gymnastics, you know, just the logistics of having that many kids and sports and school and, you know, things like that. Uh, a lot of my parents' friends, uh, 2004 to 2006, got in on the new construction craze. And uh, if you're familiar with Jacksonville, up towards the airport, um, the you know uh, Duval Station Road, Starrett, Pulaski, all that. Just, the River City Marketplace had mm-hmm. was under construction, hadn't been built. Now it's a monster place now. But back then, it was you know there was only Walmart and the movie theater <laughs> mm-hmm. back then. And so uh, we, we had a couple of friends, you know, they, they, they bought a house, they lived in it for a little bit, they sold it, they made $50,000. Another of our friends did that, they made $80,000. My family was like, oh man, this sounds like a great plan. So they built a new construction house in uh, 2006, uh, October, 2006, we moved in. We were like, wow, this house is great. We're going to, we're, we're going to look for our next one to move out. And uh, well, then we all know the, the great recession came and hammered everyone. Right. And suddenly my parents' plan was rapidly dismantled. And uh, of course, they had an adjustable rate mortgage that was going to recalculate. And um, the, the the home was worth, uh, they put in $185,000 to build the house. And so their options were going to be, okay, do we just live here? Do we move out and take the loss? Like, like what are we going to do here? Um, so kind of what they opted to do was we bought a house for our family off of a short sale at a great price because foreclosures were everywhere. Uh, two-story in-ground pool, great for the big family. And uh, they they opted to keep that home as a rental property from 2009. And in fact, it is still in our uh, portfolio now. And we just moved it into management with JWB uh, last fall. And, um, and just similar to Greg's story, Greg shared his story a bunch of times. He says, young Greg bought the house. And then even when it was the worst time to buy, and then it dropped in value. And then over a long enough time horizon, 
it's come back because short-term pricing is your least important factor for you know your long-term real estate goals. And so my family was like, okay, well, if we just rent it a little more than the mortgage and we'll just kind of wait and see what happens, hopefully it'll you know go back up in price. Um, so just snapshot numbers, that house, 185,000, 2006, it dropped. I don't even know how low it dropped. I've really low. And then now it's worth, you know, $385,000. You know, we got that historic Jacksonville appreciation, thank Greg, 4.1, 4.2% uh, mm -hmm. over time. So we've captured that in that property. Uh, it rents for $2,000 a month, covers the mortgage, you know, rocking and rolling there. Let's just take uh, a so minute fast, there because- Go ahead. Let's just take a minute there because- <clears throat> Sorry, that was a lot of info. <laughs> well, but it's such an incredible point, right? It's, it is rare to be able to speak to an investor who has lived, call it the worst case scenario in rental property investing. I've lived exactly because I invested in 2006 and I bought 40 rental properties and I know what the worst case scenario looks like. And you have too, Thomas. And what we both have seen is in real estate, specifically in rental properties, in a growth market like Jacksonville, it's hard to lose if you buy and hold. So 2006 was, call it, 17 years ago, over the long haul, even though we had that big dip in the Great Recession when it came to prices, over time, prices rebounded even more than that. And at the end of the day, for a full market cycle, we've seen, call it right around 4.5% home price appreciation year over year. And that's a really important uh, point for everybody out there, because guess what's going to happen over the next 20 years? The same <laughs> end result is going to happen somewhere around, call it four and a half percent home price appreciation. So awesome point, Thomas. I wanted to make sure I, I fully solidified that because that oh. is a basic tenant of how you win in rental property investing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. The, the, the quicker you can get off of cash flow and get off of short-term pricing and have that long-term horizon, then like that's how you win. Um, you know, that's how you scale and that's how you win like over a long enough time. Did you, uh, how did you get to that point? Did you, did you always know? It seems like you fully understand <laughs> all five profit centers. What was it for you that helped you shift away from more of a normal kind of average mindset, which is all about short-term cash flows and all about short-term pricing? Oh man. Uh, I'd say it was a lot of things. Um, so, so, so we can kind of go back into the story and kind of, yeah. I think it'll kind of fill in the gap there. Um, so, so, so we had this one rental property in the background. Uh, my family, we moved into our new house. Things were going good. Uh, my, my parents had a new baby in 20, 2012. Uh, we had baby number six came and uh, baby number six was 11 weeks old. And we found out our dad had cancer. Uh, at that time, my dad was 40 years old, dad of six kids with the newborn. Um, and he had cancer. Uh, just just a little bit of background on our situation there. Uh, my my dad was working for Bank of America, trading all his time for money, no assets, no nothing. His four hundred one k had twenty five thousand dollars, seventeen thousand dollars in credit card debt. His annual gross salary was sixty eight thousand dollars. Of course, adjusting for inflation, sixty eight thousand back then wasn't terrible, you know, like it would be now. But that's not a lot of money for six kids. <laughs> um, and then he found out he had cancer, and a year and a half later, uh, he died. He died at 41. Uh, this month is 10 years, October 2013, 10 years uh, this month. And I think a really, really important thing that when we're thinking about life and investments and retirement is, is, is we got to kind of rewind a little bit and we can talk about the numbers and the nitty gritty and the spreadsheets and the cat. Like we can talk about all those things, but it's really important to know your mindset and what's your why, what's your goals. And so we kind of, in America, especially, we, we, we go to middle school to go to high school, go to high school to go to college, go to college, get the job, you work the job to get a house, you get the house, you work it, you retire, 65 is your golden years. We have this like railroad and we just assume, we just assume that, that, that you're going to get old and be able to retire. And the fact is, that's not the case. Um, I got an exposure at a very, very young age. I was 19 when my dad died, that, that tomorrow is not guaranteed. And so- being in a 40 hour a week job is extremely risky. If you're just trading all your time for money, you're missing out on life now. And so you have to, you know, we're biased towards real estate, you know, JWB, us, we love real estate. You have to have assets that are going to produce for you so you can get your time back because time is the only resource that is truly non-renewable and you can never get it back. Um, and so that, so, so that experience has 
profoundly shaped me and changed the trajectory of my life of where I'm as a person. And now that I'm operating in healthcare, working with, you know, elderly folks, 60, 70, 80, I mean, these people, you got cancer, strokes, heart attacks, and like just assuming that you're just going to enjoy retirement is very foolish. Um, I think in this country, a lot of people need to wake up, especially my generation, the, you know, 25 to 35, we got to wake up and realize like it is not guaranteed. Um, and so, so kind of from, from that, going through that experience, um, my dad luckily had a life insurance money. So we got a chunk of life insurance money. And again, my family, not educated. Uh, I graduated college. My sister graduated college as a nurse, uh, but nobody else in our extended family, cousins, uncles, nobody knows anything about investing uh, at all. So, so, so stocks, bonds, annuities, all that stuff, completely foreign. We had no idea what to do with uh, the life insurance money. Um, but because we had had that rental property from 2009, 2013, so we'd had it for four years and we were like, okay, this real estate, you know, we can touch it, we can hold it. There, there, there's one global stock market that you have no control over and all the forces control it. But real estate, it's very, very regional. It's very focused. And if you know the area, you can kind of juice your money a little bit because you can improve the property. You can you can make it better. You you can know what neighborhoods are good, what schools are good. And so you can kind of um, have an advantage for, for selecting your asset. Um, and so, so over the next few years, spent a lot of time reading and studying and learning and networking um, from 2016, 2017, I think I listened to 25 to 30 audiobooks. Um, so really the two biggest ones that like set the anchor of that long-term time horizon were um the millionaire re- the millionaire real estate investor mm-hmm. with the strategy of uh buy, buy a million, own a million, cash flow a million. And then uh and then there was another book called Buy and Hold. Buy and Hold. Um and so those two books, I've listened to a lot of books, but those two ones like really like stuck out in my mind. I was like, okay, this, this makes sense. Like long time horizon. And then I was getting exposed to JWB at that time. And uh, so you guys were preaching the same things. And I was like, okay, this kind of makes sense. Uh, and so uh, 2017, uh, we did a mastermind. There's a, a local contractor in Jacksonville, Cameron Gaskill from Suncoast Renovations. Um, nothing but love for Cameron. Like he's out there just flipping houses, churn, 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 churn. Does great at it, makes a lot of money. His his you know course and everything we did was great. Six month mentorship course. We learned everything we need to know about every aspect of construction of flipping a house, which has come to a huge advantage, you know, as we've kind of done that. But I kind of layered that house flipping because I knew I was in healthcare, and we're not general contractors or you know, you can hire it out. But but we kind of put the flipping under our long term time horizon, and so we kind of use value add. So we figure out how do we get, you know, a distressed property, make it better to be a rental for that long-term, you know, mm-hmm. a long-term gain. And so, so yeah, so that's, wow. <laughs> that, so there's, there's a lot there. I apologize. <laughs> well, you, nothing to apologize for. I, I, again, I'm writing, writing notes. I hope everybody out there is writing some notes here because there are some serious golden nuggets here. And I see some questions already coming in. If you want to ask Thomas oh. some questions, um, you know, feel free to do that. Go ahead and do that into the Q&A. Um, if you put it in the chat, I'm not going to be able to see it right now. So go ahead and put those into the Q&A. Uh, but Thomas, I just wrote, one of the things I wrote down here is risky. And it's really interesting to see what you view as risky versus what the average public would view as risky. You look at the 40-hour week work week trading your time $4 as risky and you look at buying assets as the solution to mitigate that risk. Others look at the safe, secure 40 hour a week job as the way to reduce risk. <laughs> and they avoid buying assets because they think assets are risky. Can we just spend a couple minutes diving into that? Because oh. that is critical. Yeah, absolutely. So so a couple of thoughts there. So specific to my job field, uh, being a healthcare professional, um, technically it's an allied health. So kind of we're we're not balling out like dentists and doctors and stuff. We're allied healthcare professionals. So nursing, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, you know, tech, stuff like that. Um, our jobs are a hundred percent phys- like physically, you have to do them. Okay. Um, I've spoken to tons of healthcare professionals that had an injury 
or they had an emergency situation, a sick kid, they got sick, someone in their family got sick, they had they herniated discs in their back, they got COVID and they couldn't move for three months. And they were totally screwed because there is no, when you have a professional degree like that, th there is no light duty. Um, I don't even want to go down the rabbit trail of our healthcare system, but, but you, if you can't work, you can't earn. And that to, to me, and I think that's incredibly risky. Mm -hmm. Um, and then kind of, kind of the other side of it is that when you're working a 40 hour work week, trading all your time for money, you only have so much time. So, you know, uh, one 168 hours a week, 24 to seven, 168 hours a week is the most you could possibly work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even if you work 40 hours, 80 hours that, that you still have a ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so you have to move away from trading your hours for dollars and you have to figure out how do I trade my dollars for time. And so that's where, you know, that's that mind shift set, the mind shift, <laughs> the mindset shift, of like rich dad, poor dad, um, you know, Stop, stop being an employee. You got to be an employer mindset. And so, you yeah. know, it's, it's really clear the success traits that we see from the, the guest investors we get to have on the show. It, it is, it's a different way of thinking. We in this not your average investor community think differently and it should be celebrated. Um, and when I think about what I'm hearing from you, Thomas, it is thinking differently. It's understanding that what normal people call risk is actually mitigating risk, right? Going away from trading your your time for dollars is actually mitigating risk. And I loved how you said, listen, we only have 168 hours in the work week. If you're and and if you are thinking like that is reducing risk, that is your max income that you can earn from your active income. 168 hours times whatever you earn or your salary or whatnot. If your expenses are right there, that's risky. <laughs> That's risky. The only way to break that is unless you could have an opportunity to significantly increase your income and keep your expenses down here, which many people just don't have that. They have to work a lifetime to get there. Maybe they never get there. Or you can do this while you are working. You can have enough income to offset the expenses, but you make different decisions with the money that you earn. And you take some exactly. of that and you take it over to this other bucket and that other bucket gives you the opportunity to make money passively without your active work. At, at the core of it, that's what we all love. Um, but not many people get that. So you heard some really good books from, from Thomas, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that we talk a lot about in this group. If you are a regular, you know, uh, if you join the show regularly and you haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I'm going to jump through the, the Zoom meeting and, and just, you know, give you one of these. Go. <laughs> Go ahead and read that book. It changed my life, yeah, changed everybody else's that. life. You also mentioned The real Millionaire Real Estate Investor and another book called Buy and Hold that will help you with that mindset shift. Um, you talked a lot about how um, your family, not educated stocks, bonds. Um, there was this, this element that simple, real estate is simple to understand and it's tangible and we understand and there's fundamentals. And you also mentioned how you can have an advantage in real estate over the market because of the team you work with, your experience, your knowledge in a local area. And that's celebrated. That That's celebrated in the real estate world. In the stock market, that's not celebrated. You can't do that. It's called Yeah, that'll, that'll get you in prison. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. Um, so, you know, in a nutshell, real estate made sense for all those reasons for you. And we haven't even talked about better returns or things of that nature. Um but let's talk a little bit more. I know a little bit more about your story. And let me take you down the angle of Thomas, who has these incredible success, uh, has overcome so many obstacles, incredible things that have led to success. But you made a decision when you were getting into real estate that a lot of people make when it comes to building a rental property portfolio. You decided to self-manage, Thomas. That You decided to manage your properties by yourself. Talk us through that, my friend. Oh, geez. I know. I'm pre Hopefully I'm preaching to the choir uh, here at the JWB, you know, community here, but self-managing is a lie. <laughs> um, um, it, 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 again, rich, rich dad, poor dad is such, such an, such a foundational book and, and understanding this tension is something that, that between me and my mom, that we have battled back and forth with for years. And really since 2017 until last year, um, 
she was not on board with property management. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but because JWB is such a powerhouse and we can even go through, there's been three like massive situations we've had with tenants and with properties this year that your team has gracefully resolved with zero stress to me. And, um, that that's, it's money where we, I can circle back to that at the yeah, end. Sure. Um, but, but again, mindset shift. So rich dad, poor dad. So the, the, the token question is, would you rather make a thousand dollars doing something or would you rather make a hundred dollars doing nothing? Mm. The answer is always a hundred dollars doing nothing. Cause you can scale that 10 times mm -hmm. without increasing your time commitment. And so when you think about real estate, the whole point of real estate is to scale, you know, get, getting one property is great, but once you get a taste, you understand, okay, I got to keep doing this to, to, to compound those gains over time. Um, and so you, you can't do it all yourself. If you, if you fall for the lie that you're going to self-manage, you're going to build yourself a job, which is mm -hmm. the opposite <laughs> of what you're trying to do. Uh, one, one of my favorite quotes, I heard it a couple months ago. It said, poor people trade their time to save money and wealthy people trade their money to save time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that like very succinctly puts like, why should you hire a property manager? J j just from like a philosophy mindset um, perspective. Now, of course, in the nitty gritty day to day, um, having a property manager reduces your your your, your stress <laughs> uh, as the landlord so specifically for us uh we shifted three of our properties into jwb over the course of a year year and a half as the uh, leases rolled up and then we moved them in um because we moved into the camper and went on the road so i was going to be out of state living in a camper i don't know if i'm going to have cell service wi-fi i don't know where we're going to be i don't know how what my time commitments at my job are going to be so I said, I, you know, I can't, I, I can't self, I literally cannot self-manage. That would be again, risky. What, what's your tolerance for risk? That'd be extremely risky. Mm -hmm. Something breaks, I'm unavailable. That'd be catastrophic. Um, so that's why we rolled our properties into JWB. So I could go out and I could do my healthcare job, 40 hour work week to make a good income. And then in the background, have these assets, you know, you know, benefiting me mm -hmm. uh, for, for the people that say, hey, you know, I don't, I want to keep more cash flow. I don't want to pay, you know, 10% a month. I don't want to lose my tenant placement fee, all those kinds of things. Um, you guys preach it here, but short term pricing and cash flow of your five profit centers, short term pricing cash flow are low on the totem pole because you're shooting for the long term gains from appreciation. We already touched on that. So the people that are trying to fall for the travel, oh, I'm going to save a hundred bucks a month. It's like, who cares? Okay. That's, you know, $1,200 a year over 10 years, 10 grand, your appreciation, you should get that much appreciation in one or two years, you know, mm -hmm. to, to buy it back. Um, so that's number one. Number two is, um, pricing for rent. So pricing for rent is super, super important because if you move from, so you have a house thousand dollars a month in rent, and you think it can rent for $1,100, Simple numbers, it's not realistic. Please don't burn me in the chat. <laughs> um, but you're cash flowing a hundred dollars, right? Okay, so if you if the actual market rent is twelve hundred and you increase the rent to twelve hundred, you say, okay, I'm moving it from eleven hundred to twelve hundred. i'm I'm gaining a hundred dollars a month or I'm increasing it, you know nine percent or whatever. That's not correct. You're doubling your cash flow right. from a hundred dollars a month to two hundred dollars a month. So it's a one hundred percent gain on, your cash flow. So by having JWB, you guys have, you know, if I if I'm rounding, you guys have close to a four million properties in Jacksonville, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are you're over five thousand. Are you at six yet? We're close. We're close. We uh we'll, yeah, so, we should be pretty close by the end of the year. Close to six. Yeah. So so, so by having close to six thousand doors in Jacksonville, Jacksonville's huge. You guys have such good data on if we price it here, it's going to rent for this. This is how long, it, and you guys have a waiting list of tenants and you guys screen tenants, you have your two-year leases. Um, so you guys having that data that I, with one house, I don't have. I, 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 don't, I don't have any market projections off of one house. So you guys have huge advantage um, you know, in that sense. And then furthermore is vacancy. Nothing kills your returns faster than vacancy. So if you price a house too high and it sits 45, 60, 65 days, you're burning 8, 16, 15% of your profit, you know, 
because it's vacant. Mm-hmm. Whereas you put it with JWB, they price it right. They have a waiting list of tenants. They market the heck out of it and you get a tenant, you know, I think you're, I know, I know last year, I think your average market to lease signing was like 14 days and then move in was like 21. I think it bumped up mm-hmm. to like 40 days, mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. I know, I know you have all the numbers, but yeah. 40 days or less from market to move in is, I mean, that's phenomenal. That keeps yeah. more money in your pocket. It, um, it, it's all about driving the value that I just keep saying to myself, everything that you're saying, it comes down to value, 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 value. And when people can make decisions based on value rather than price, they're going to be in a better position. The challenge is people ask price first. So, you know, and they don't understand value many times until it's too late when they made a decision solely on price and didn't get the value. Um, but let's talk, talk openly. You had the chance to, to, I'm sure interview or, uh, make the decision to go with a number of other property management companies in Jacksonville. Many nope, we of just which... hired you straight up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did? Well, all right. Well, then that kills my question. But if you did, you, what you would find out is that others charge less for a tenant placement fee. Some charge significantly less for a monthly management fee. What was it about us that you didn't even have to ask those other questions? Um, and, you know, made you see the value in, in a JWB relationship over, over the alternative? Yeah. So initially, um, obviously we first, you know, got exposed to you guys back in 2014. So I kind of been following along, uh, with, you know, the, the, the different podcast shows, you guys have presentations, you know, at Jack's Rhea and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and so I knew what you guys were doing. And the thing that really sold me was you said when I was watching, it, we'd already moved into the camper. So it must've been in 2020, end of 2021, maybe. Um, you guys had gotten the question. I think you guys were kind of at a fork in the road. Are you guys going to add more markets or are you going to stay in Jacksonville? Mm-hmm. And you said, no, we're going to pick one market and go super deep. And we're just committed to Jacksonville and the vision of Jacksonville. And we're just going to like focus on Jacksonville. And I mm-hmm. said, sold. <laughs> <laughs> um, it'd be, be it, just, having focus and discipline as a business is something that is important to me. Um, and so you guys being local, being focused on just one market and then the way you guys structure your team, you guys, you leverage technology in a way that is phenomenal with the sales force and all the technology you guys use. So that when I call JWB, even if my portfolio, um, uh, what you, portfolio manager, portfolio, manager. Portfolio, yeah. portfolio manager, uh, it's Caitlin. We love Caitlin. She's, incredible has walked us through some scary stuff. Um, but even if Caitlin's unavailable, anyone on the team can log into our properties and give us the scoop of, of a, you know, whatever the issue is. Mm-hmm. And I love that. It is like, it is super, super helpful, um, for like day-to-day operations stuff. What, what a joy to, to just hear you, hear you speak. Thomas, it's, it's really awesome. When I think about the type of relationship we want to have with a client, you know, this is, this is it. And we got to see something just in the same vein with Aaron O'Neill, who was here last Thursday and all of our guest investors, you guys get to see this. This is not just a transaction when we get to bring a client on board. It's so much more than that. It's that relationship. And we hope to serve our clients for, for decades. And this is what it looks like and feels like to serve a client, you know, hopefully for decades here. Um, so just piggybacking on that, sorry, last thing to add, just piggybacking on that of just like real estate is a long game, your property manager should also be a long game. So you, you don't want a property manager that you're worried in five years is going to go out of business. <laughs> um, c- clearly you guys are established, you're yeah. growing, you guys are doing amazing things. So that like, it's like getting married. It's like a relationship that, that, that we're having, we're building this together over mm-hmm. you know a long time. I mean, just, just circling back to those personal touches and how you treat customers or your clients, sorry, not customers, um, clients, uh, that are, we just had our new baby, baby daughter, baby girl. She's six weeks old. Um, she was born four weeks early. I was in the NICU for 26 days and, um, the, the Kate, Caitlin, I, we were dealing with some other stuff. And so I was sharing with her what was going on and just out of a, you know, kind gesture at JWB, they sent us a DoorDash gift card. Um, to help us get meals while our daughter was in the hospital. Uh, and that was like super, super awesome. Like we've really, really, really appreciated that, that, that we're not just a number on a spreadsheet that, that even though you guys have, you know, close to 4 million doors now that 
<laughs> that, that, that you guys are really trying to have that personal relationship with each and every client. And so I really hope, you know, I, I hope everybody, I'm sure everyone's having that same experience. Thank you for sharing that. You know, that is a, that's a credit to Caitlin, you know, Caitlin on our team, just, and everybody on our team, we're trained to, to seek out those opportunities that we call them moments of truth, right? When you have the opportunity to do something really special for somebody that may be in a time of need, it may be in a time that something needs to be celebrated, but as a business, you don't have to be perfect, but if you could just look for those moments of truth and just do something, even if it's relatively small, to show that you care beyond just whatever the transaction is. I mean, those are the things that people talk about. And that's how you get, you know, referrals. And that's how you get repeat business. And, you know, people tend to think building a business is, is a super complicated thing, which parts of it are, but some of it are so simple. It's just like seeing, looking for an opportunity to, to make somebody's day and then just doing that and training and bringing great people on just like Caitlin, who think that same way. So. Um, I'm really glad that she saw that opportunity for you and that, you know, that, um, of course it helps to reinforce how much we care about you and your family. Yeah, man, that was, that was, I was blown away. I was like, man, this is amazing. So big fan. Yeah. Um, and then, so, so, so just a little bit of like nitty gritty, it's not all sunshine and roses being a landlord. You don't just buy a house and then you're a millionaire and, you know, in the Bahamas. Um, so we had some, some, you know, kind of big issues with, with our tenants and properties um, this year that JWB has beautifully handled. Uh, number one on the Bonaparte house that my parents had since 2009, put them property management um, and the tenant started to fall behind on payments. And then they got the three-day notice and then they paid, then they were caught up and then they stopped paying. And so we were kind of, and then we officially had to file an eviction on the tenant, uh, which, which sucks. Um, you guys have a super low eviction rate. I think it was like 3% even during COVID. Right. Um, your guys' rent collected and your eviction rate is insanely low. Um, and so I was like, oh, no, no, I don't want to ding their numbers. Let's <laughs> let's let's get this good. Um, and so we had really good communication between the team and the tenant, between me and the team of kind of the situation. And, and the eviction process is very, very uh, litigious. And there's very, very, very specific steps um, you have to follow or, or use the landlord are going to be in the hot seat. So a mm. lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm just going to go over there and like change the locks. And it's like, oh my gosh, no, you, no. you absolutely, even the Florida is very landlord friendly. You know, it, if you don't pay, you don't stay, but there's a lot, a lot of steps. And if you don't have an experienced property manager, that's done this a lot of times, like you are opening yourself up again to a lot of risk. Um, and so, so they were able to follow the steps, um, keep me informed. And then, you know, at, at the last minute, the tenant paid up all their dues. Um, so, so it, they couldn't afford a 2000 a month rent, but then they suddenly paid like $7,000 to get everything current. So it's yeah. kind of, kind of a weird situation, but, um, that was the power of having a good property manager that, that knew the correct steps and, and, and made sure there's no time delay because if they had waited one month to file, file the, eviction papers, well, then that kicks the can down another month that I'm losing rent to, mm -hmm. to pay the mortgage. Um, so that swift action was just like uh, perfect. Um, the the second one, we had, a, <laughs> we had a shipping container at a rental property. The city cited us um, and JWB, they do a lot of new construction. So you guys are best friends with the uh, city inspectors and mm -hmm. permit people. And so you guys were able to, to figure that out, get the shipping container removed. And, you know, I didn't get any fines or anything. That was super helpful. Um, and then we just had a tenant move out with no warning. Um, they called and said, hey, we're out of the house, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty crazy. And so we had to do a turn on the property. And JWB sent me an estimate. I approved it over email, made my contribution, and you guys had it turned and back on market uh, in seven days, which wow. was freaking nuts. Y'all painted the whole house and did the yard. And um, so, Fantastic. so those three things were like more like nitty gritty. This is what a property manager does for you. So uh, do you have anything that we screwed up? Because you have been incredibly positive this entire time. People are going to think that I paid you to be on this show. What's what's the worst thing um, that we've done? What could we get get better at? Uh so <laughs> so I so my experience with JWB is I had the houses and then moved them into management with you. Um, so I have I've not been a client on the turnkey. Um, you know, buying a turnkey property. Mm -hmm. Last last summer we were 
we were trying to figure that out before we we purchased another property last October. And then that's property number three in the portfolio, San Salvador there. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were shopping for houses and we were trying to figure out with you guys. And unfortunately, I think we got a team member that maybe wasn't clear, not as good as communication as we were used to. Mm -hmm. And so some of the ways they were presenting the houses and the deals didn't quite line up with like what the actual spreadsheet numbers were. And so there's a little bit of confusion there, but, but mm -hmm. I communicated it to the team and you guys handled it. And I, as a couple months later, that person didn't work for JWB anymore. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the full situation was. There. There you go, Thomas, you got um, him. You, you got him fired, Thomas. Way to go. I'm just joking. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. I'm just joking. Um, I'm totally joking. But uh, I think, I mean, I, I don't, I, I think that's just a, I was, I think I that was, was just a miscommunication and employee situation. I don't think that yeah. was not reflective of the whole business. Well, it, I, you know what? We're not perfect. And so I appreciate me, oh, you being yeah. willing to have me put you on the, on the hot seat and dig and dig and dig for the things that we don't do well. Um, and you yeah. know what? We're not perfect. So, you know, I'm sure we learned oh. from that and, um, but, um, uh, but man, so many, so many good things here. We got a couple of questions I'm going to fire your way. And if anybody would like to ask any oh. questions to Thomas or to me, uh, take advantage of the time that you have today. Go ahead and put those in the, in the Q&A. This has just been really, really incredible here. So um, Thomas, first question is from the MVP, Mr. Lee Bishop. And Lee, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase your question a little bit. It talked, he asked a question about um, seeing your siblings and your mom struggle with money. I would imagine right after the death of your father. Um, and, you know, asking questions about how did you work to support them through that and support your family through that? Maybe how really, I think for me Ooh. coming from understanding your mindset right now, which is just spot on, it's just incredible. And it's clear to see how you are successful now and are going to be an incredible success as, uh, as you progress, how did you develop this mindset? When did you develop this mindset? What was like the trigger for you to just develop this type of mindset? Um, um, so it's, that's half of Lee's question and half of mine. <laughs> um, so, so just in perspective, 10 years ago, 2013, when my dad passed, I was only 19 years old. Um, so I was not able to, to generate enough income to, um, support the whole family. Um, luckily the, the, this is a little bit like global risk management. This is a little outside the scope of the JWB podcast, but, um, when you, when you die and you have minors, kids, um, obviously you're not going to draw your social security when you're old because you're dead. Um, your surviving spouse can draw on your social security and then your surviving spouse can draw on your social security because they're taking care of your dependents, your minors. Um, so my mom, my mom, like since 2013 until now, and it, and it goes until your youngest child is 16. Um, and then when your youngest child turns 16, they cut off the dependent social security and my, my sister is now 11. So we still have, you know, four and a half more years, um, to figure that out mm -hmm. <laughs> to replace that lost income. Um, and so, so, so my mom's income did not go all the way to zero. Mm -hmm. Um, she did have, I think they recalculate it every year. I do not recall, Exactly. Was it initially? It was like, I think it was like 48,000, maybe like $41,000 um, off social security. And that income is tax-free because it's like death benefit social security. So it's different. Um, and then because all that income is tax-free, um, that puts my mom in a very favorable you know, tax bracket for our structuring of our, our LLCs. We have a family uh, partnership with Schedule K half the income goes on my mom, half the income goes on me. So my mom can soak a ton of capital gains and rental income because her taxable income basically starts at zero. So mm -hmm. she's a very high ceiling. Um, again, profit number, number three, tax, tax savings and yeah. depreciation, all that good stuff. Um, and so, so my mom was able to have that social security as a cushion. Um, and then of course the life insurance money came through. And unfortunately, she was using that principle um, to live on mm -hmm. um, from 2013 to 2017. Not a lot. She was just, you know, it right. was supplementing the income. Do. Just, yeah, a single mom with a baby. She was not able to go back to work yeah. um, at that time. 
And then of course that rental property we had out by the airport that that had some cash flow. I think it was cash flowing like $400, $450 a month um, uh, gross. We didn't know anything about vacancies and reserves back then. So it was probably only like a hundred dollars actual profit. Right. Um, and so that kind of allowed us some breathing room to where we didn't have to make any hasty um, decisions off of that point. And so, so yeah, so, so, so I use real estate to help take care of my mom and my siblings would be kind of the, the short answer there. Just incredible. I mean, it's, it's incredible, you know, um, so sorry for the loss of, of your father, but um, just incredible to hear how you have used uh, an experience like that, which many people would, um, you know, it would be very tough to take anything positive, you know, from that, but you have chosen to take yeah. something positive um, as far as the mindset that has resulted. And that's, that's really something that's really special. Um, so, wow. Incredible. All right. We've got another question for you. This is from Raj Bantu. What is the primary criteria to your primary criteria to buy long-term hold properties, Thomas? Oh man, that's a tricky one. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so one of the big things about real estate is having clearly defined buy box and kind of what your financing situation is going to look like um, so that when those deals come into your buy box, you can act quickly. Um, obviously, our criteria has evolved from 2017 to current because obviously the market has evolved. Right. Um, to put it lightly, <laughs> the market has evolved. Um, so yeah, so, so, so again, our general philosophy is we target a little bit more expensive properties to try to maximize those appreciation gains. So simple numbers, if you have a $100,000 house that goes up four and a half percent, historical Jacksonville appreciation, you capture $4,500 a year. If you have a $200,000 house, four and a half percent, that's $9,000 a year. So by doubling the value of the asset, you double those appreciation returns um, over time. Mm -hmm. So our properties range, so market you know, rough market value, the Zestimate on our properties. Uh, our cheapest one is like 150,000. It rents for $1,100 a month. So that one, our primary goal there is cash flow. Uh, it's cash owned. There's no no leverage on it. So we just have taxes, property insurance, JWB on our expense sheet, and then our vacancy mm -hmm. and reserves. Uh, and that one is, that one's our primary cash flow that kind of covers all the expenses for the business and all that stuff. Um, and then the house out by the airport is our most expensive property. Um, market value probably 350, 380. Um, and it's it's renting for two thousand dollars a month. So some investors would say, oh my gosh, two thousand dollars a month on 380, your, your NOI, your cap rate is you know so low and that's terrible. But it just depends on what game you're playing. If you're going for cash flow, then yeah, you need to buy the hundred thousand dollar MLK 32209 house and rent it out for eight hundred dollars a month. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're paying the long-term appreciation game, you got to get a little bit nicer houses um, to kind of get those long-term gains. Um, again, I'm biased for those long-term houses because the depreciation, the depreciation you can capture, you can count back half that to qualify for your next loan. So the, gosh, I don't, I don't have my calculator handy, but so if that that house, I think we put the, again, this is getting in the weeds a little, is this helpful or is this not helpful? I think it's great. I think it's great. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, so, so if you have a hundred thousand dollar house over and you depreciate it over 29 and a half years, you can't count the land. So, you know, $150,000, it's maybe three percent, three, it's like 3.3% a year. What are those numbers? You're and talking about how much you can write off each year. Yeah. For depreciation. Cause it's hundred percent of the value over yeah, 29.5 years. Yeah. It's like 3% or something. Right. So basically 1.5% of that value, you can count back to help you qualify for your next loan. So you buy five houses and you just gain back 7% more like, like paper, paper income that the underwriter will let you qualify for your next loan. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you buy a hundred thousand dollar house and you're you're depreciating $3,000 a year, $2,000 a year. Okay. The underwriters yeah. say, okay, you can get back a thousand dollars a year. Okay. That's not going to move the needle month. But if you have a $400,000 house 
and you're getting to count back, you know, $8,000 a year. Okay. Well, that can really move the needle on your, you know, your DTI, your if, loan to value. Again, yeah, it depends if, if you're doing it, if, if you're doing back, it your personal or your LLC, you know, there's a lot of variables, but. Well, let's just go back to where we started here. If we associate okay. what you understand as risk and how to overcome that risk, you look at risk as the daily nine to five, you know, income matching expenses and having no way to to change that that rat race. And the way that right. you overcome that is you buy assets that then give you your time back. So if we now put all this together, this thing right. that Thomas is talking about, about how you're able to use this asset to qualify to buy a future asset, this is where you see the act, the, the mindset coming into action here. And, you know, most people would look at buying something and not think about how that's going to help you buy another asset, whether that's a buying a rental property and help you buy another rental property or what have you. But you can see this. Thomas is thinking about how do I build an army of income producing assets? Because that army of income producing assets equates to time ownership. And that's what he's in search of. You haven't heard him talk about right. being a millionaire, a billionaire, whatnot. It's time ownership, right? That's what it comes down to, right? Exactly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You you spot our exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so so you can play the cash flow game and you can play like the appreciation to stack them over time. Um it I mean, it just depends. It, and there's no one size fits all. That's that's the other cool thing that's amazing about real estate. If you invest in stock, there's one market. There's one, I mean, yes, there's different ways to play, but Philosophically, there's really only one. You got to buy the stocks or buy option contracts. But in real estate, there's so many different ways to, so many different ways to approach it. And yeah, anyways, yep. a lot, lot of different approaches depending on what your goals are. All right, Thomas. Well, we have uh, we have a few minutes left for the show. Um, we've got a couple more questions. Um, but right. first, I wanted to give everybody an opportunity to find out more about you. And it's the uh, the real network. Tell everybody a little bit about the real network. Yeah, so so obviously my real estate journey has a lot of different pieces. Um, you know, the 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 death of my dad, you know, being in healthcare, travel contract. So there's like a lot of different pieces and so I was just trying to figure out, okay, how do I share this experience and 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 with other people um to help them kind of start their journey cuz it's hard the hardest jump is to get someone from 0 to 1. Mm -hmm. It's like the journey from 0 to 1 is like this long and then one to two is like this long. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think the average investor spends like two to three years learning about real estate before they pull the trigger on that first deal. And so my kind of goal is how do I shorten that um, for specifically healthcare people and healthcare people specifically, because our job is very labor intensive and very much transactional. We don't know anything about sales and scale and hands-off and passive. And you know, it's, it's very much an employee clinician implementation mindset. And so my goal is to try to like get the attention, wake these people up and say, no, 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 you need to buy assets, quit trading your time. You need to buy assets. And so literally this year, so maybe seven months ago, just started, you know, making content, recording podcasts, making videos, uh, drawing out terrible sketches about the five profit centers, <laughs> um, just to kind of help people. And so my, my brand, I went through a lot of iterations, but the one I stuck with was the real network, R-E-A-H-L, Real Estate and Healthcare Leadership Network. Um, and so I'm just trying to find healthcare providers that that are investors um, and kind of link them up in a community of people that are trying to figure out how to, how to get started. Um, and kind of the lowest barrier for entry with the smallest amount of capital and least amount of money is doing a house hack. So, so you move in, you know, you get primary owner-occupied financing, which is advantaged, a lower down payment, which is great. And that, and and then you fix it up, you live there, you move out and you keep it as a rental. So move out, rent behind. Um, and that's the easiest way to get, that's, in my opinion, that's the lowest amount of capital and the shortest path to getting from zero to one. Um, and then kind of once you get one, then hopefully you're addicted and then you hire JWB to be our property manager and keep getting, keep stacking properties. And then you're the, <laughs> you're the next in guest investor on the Not Your Average Investor show. Um, exactly. Yes, sir. We have, we've had a bunch of questions that have come in here at the end and that always happens. So thank you all for sending hey, those questions in. Bro, we've it's got, all good. I love questions. All right. Anything, got, any, any piece of my, because like when I was, so this was 2017. So I was, 24, 25. So I was like young Greg. I mean, 
some of this stuff was accessible, but I was overwhelmed. That was the biggest thing, man. Like if you go on Amazon, you type in real estate for books. <laughs> Good luck like, reading all those. I, yeah, I was so overwhelmed. And so my my objective is try to take everything that I've learned and been exposed to and experienced and try to distill it down to like make it a little bit more simple. Um, anyways, yeah. So I love questions. So what do we uh, got? Well, you you just do it in a way that's really personable and authentic and, and <laughs> genuine. So I'm glad we have more folks that are teaching and educating and building community that are built like you. Um, all right. So we got a couple of questions here. Um, Joyce Tessman, which is a, a new name. Joyce, thank you so much for being a part of the show and for firing a question in. Uh, Joyce says, I'm out of state. Uh, Thomas, do you recommend investing in rental properties for someone who does not live in your area? Are there any downsides when uh, using, she says, your service? I'm wondering if she means real network or if I'm wondering if she means JWB. So we'll take it from there. Yeah, so so that was, so that is the number one biggest beginner mistake that um, people do in real estate is location bias. So they figure, hey, I live here, so I'm going to buy property here. And then that kind of goes down the rabbit trail of, okay, well, if I brought it he bought it here, well, now I'm going to drive over there and paint the walls. Oh, if I painted the walls, well, now I'll just be the property manager. Why do I need a property manager? And so honestly, I think that doing out of area minimum, but definitely out of state is a great way to very firmly break that mindset because you literally can't self-manage and you literally can't drive over there and paint the walls and cut the grass mm -hmm. because it's out of area. So it immediately forces you to be creative. Constraint drives innovation. So if you constrain yourself that I'm not investing here, I'm investing somewhere else, then you immediately have to start thinking in these new ways, um, which is ultimately the way that builds success. Um, so I got very lucky because... I lived in Jacksonville and invested in Jacksonville. Jacksonville turned out to be a good market. So I got, I got lucky. Um, but, but now like moving down here to Tampa, if I grew up here in Tampa and I was to invest in Tampa, holy smokes, I'd be priced out. I mean, right. you, a, 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 how a, a, a not so good house and a not great area is starts at like 300,000 down here. I mean, you, you're, you're just, your barrier to entry, like for capital, is so high that that finding a market like Jacksonville, you know, you have your Florida pricing, and I know we are way below. I know we're catching back up to like average right. Florida pricing, mm -hmm. but we're still um, undervalued. I know yeah, that's one still of your less expensive than the... still less expensive than Tampa, Orlando, and Miami. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm here. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 so 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 my short answer would be. Yes, going out of state, it it forces you to run your business like a business from day one um, and not just build yourself another job. Yeah. And I, I wonder why there's this magnetic attraction that in real estate, if you think about it from an investment perspective, that we somehow have to be close to it. If you realize where you're spending your money or where you're investing your money elsewhere, you don't have this magnetic attraction to like be next to it and to like be forced to solve the problems that come along with that. You hire yeah. incredible people and they produce a return on investment for you. So break the bonds that make you think that real estate should be different. Hire the best team in the best market and then go be successful. That's what we would say. Um, exactly. If you, if you buy stocks at Amazon, you know, you don't open up your laptop in the morning and answer customer service, you know, <laughs> complaints about one star reviews or where's my pack? Like, no, like if you're an, if you're an investor, like be an investor, be a business owner. Don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So last question for you. Um, and I'll just answer a couple of the other ones here before we get to the last one. Lee Bishop asked about uh, the advantages of buying uh, properties from JWB and the discounts that you get when you get to five properties and 10 properties. So you, we do get discounts. That is for folks that actually buy the assets from us. So turnkey clients. So Thomas is not a turnkey client um, as he continues to build no, his portfolio with sorry. us. <laughs> hey, you know, we're going to love that. But if you're a turnkey client like Lee is, and you get to five properties that you purchased from JWB and we do the management, we drop your property management fees down to 9%. And when you get to 10 properties that um, are purchased through JWB, we drop you down from 9% to 8% property management fees. So Lee, thanks for the opportunity to do the quick plug there. Uh, BJ McKay asked uh, real quick, Thomas, are you done RV traveling? I think the answer is yes, right? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We, we, are now in, we are now in Tampa 
and we are going to be here for, we'll be here for a little while. Sounds like you got your um, hands full. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Two, <laughs> two kids under two. I don't, uh, I was there. I don't know. Yeah. That's, I was there. That was, that yeah, was busy. pretty, never a dull moment, <laughs> but no, no, no um, camper for right now. Ronald Thwing says, uh, and first of all, thank you, Ronald, for asking a question, for being here, for stepping outside of the shadows and not being a lurker anymore. We appreciate you. Um, he asked, is the, the Real Network on YouTube? Why don't you tell everybody how they can find the Real Network and uh, be a part of it? Yeah, yes, sir. So um, so, so our website is bereal, B-E-R-E-A-H-L.com, bereal. Uh, on Instagram, we're the Real Network, R-E-A-H-L Network. Um, and then we have a podcast on Spotify and uh, kind of kind of specific for the healthcare community, especially physical therapists, is we're graduating school with an average of $140,000 to $180,000 in student loans. And then the average salary for a PT is like $70,000. So those, those numbers just don't work great. Um, and if your strategy, um, there's some people that their strategy is they're going to rely on the government and Uncle Sam to... Um, help them forgive or pay down or whatever their loans. And um, I don't know. I'm not, I don't, it's a, a lot of the, every single student loan policy right now is signed into order by executive action, not passed by Congress. So every single plan can change at any moment. And we just experienced that just now. The, the plans that President Obama wrote in, President Biden just changed them all up. Um, and so again, back to risk. What is risky? If you're relying on, Uncle Sam to help you get rid of your student loans. I think that's super risky. Um, so, so we're trying to help people, you know, use real estate to pay off student loans because you can get the monthly cash flow to pay your monthly payment, and then you can build that asset value over time to hopefully sell it and then pay off your the your, the principal balance of your loans down the road. So that's kind of, kind of, kind of what I don't know. That's kind of what we're trying to do. People need you, brother. People need you. This way of thinking can help millions and millions and millions of people. So I hope folks go and check out The Real Network. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to you, Thomas, for being here, for being so open, honest, authentic, transparent. Thank you for sharing um, you know, some of, the, uh, some of the challenges that you went through to get to where you are. Um, man, I think I find your story so inspiring. So really, really excited to have you here as a guest. And uh, we'll keep the seat warm for you. We're going to have you back on sometime in the future, too. <laughs> Yes, sir. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Our pleasure. And thank you to everybody here for being on the show. We had over 50 people were here registered, uh, attending live, Woo! asking questions. I mean, this is not like, you know, Tuesday night at nine o'clock, right? This is the middle of the day. Sometimes it's in the morning, depending on where you are in the country. And you all show up every single Tuesday and Thursday. And I know it's not because you, you come here for me. It's because you come here for the guests that we have like Thomas and you come here for all of you. It's the community. It's the chat that is just rapid firing. Thank you all for being such a big part of this. Thanks for asking great questions. Thanks for helping me get through this with Pablo not being here. Um, it is truly never lost on us that you spend your time and make this community what it is. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, I encourage you to join live. Once you come in here live, you're going to stick because it's fun, it's valuable, and you make great friendships. So come here live. Just go to nyais.com for notyouraverageinvestorshow.com and join us on the next live uh, audience here. Go and check out The Real Network at uh, bereal.com. Did I get that right, Thomas? Yes, sir. B -E yes, sir. B -E -R -E -A -H -L com. Did I get that right? Yep. Okay. Yes, go sir. check that out. <laughs> Um, and, uh, wow. So, so thankful to all of you looking forward to next week. Pablo will be back in the house. Um, I am going on business planning, so I am going to be locked in a, in a room for next week, putting the business plans together for JWB for the next one to three years. Excited to share all of that with you, uh, when I come back from that. But before we do that, one thing that I'm going to ask of you, the Madison's going to ask of you that Thomas is going to ask of you that Pablo would ask of you if, he were here, he said, until next time, don't be average.